days before Christmas. It is good to be here this morning. So my name's Steve. If I haven't met you in person, I would look forward to that. Um, I was able to give the message uh, about a month ago, and uh, after the service, someone came to me horribly distraught that I hadn't started with Calvin and Hobbes. So I thought, uh, we don't want that to happen again, so here we go. Want to read my letter to Santa? All that? I hope I didn't uh, forget to ask for something I want. This is alphabetized. Yeah, and I cross-index the accessory items he'll need to get. I try to help him out. This says volume one. Atom bomb through a grenade launcher. You're going to be one sad little kid on Christmas morning. So this morning, the service uh, sermon is on Let There Be Joy in the Everyday. We're con- continuing our series on Let There Be Joy, and we're looking at Luke 2, 8 to 20. And I like to start by defining joy as the true, true joy is our deepest desires satisfied. And I don't know if that's your experience, but uh, Scripture says that God created us for a relationship with him, and that is our That is our deepest desire, and uh, Jesus satisfies those desires. There are three scriptures I want to look at briefly as we begin this morning that show the three desires that we have that God built into us. The first one is the desire for a forever life. In John 17, 3, we read, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And this is in Jesus' prayer in John 17, Jesus defines eternal life as knowing him. And that is our deepest longing to have intimacy with God. And Jesus is the only one who can offer that to us. And then we have forgiven life. In Romans 5.1 we read, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm guessing you realize that we are broken people living in a broken world. And I'm guessing you realize that inside you are a broken person. Scripture is so clear that we are broken people and we have this need for forgiveness and only Jesus can offer that forgiveness. And lastly, fulfilling life. In John 10, 10, we read, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that him have life and life abundantly. We have this deep longing for real abundant life, for purpose, for meaning, for something significant, for our lives to count for something beyond ourselves. And only Jesus offers that fulfilling life. Forever forgiven and fulfilling life. So how can we experience joy? How can we experience this life in the everyday? How can we have our deepest desires satisfied? And we're looking at Luke 20, I'm sorry, Luke 2, 8 to 20 for that answer. And there are three things I want to highlight from this passage. Walk in humility, walk in awe, and walk in responsiveness. And the summary answer is walk with Jesus. So number one, walk in humility. In Luke 2, 8, we see in our first verse in this passage, and if you want to open up your Bibles or swipe there to Luke chapter 8, sorry, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, Uh, Feel free to do that. Also, the verses will be up on the screen. 
So we read, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And it would be helpful to recognize that shepherds were the outcasts of society in that day. And the message of the gospel, of the coming king, of the Messiah being born, the message is first presented to the outcasts of the day, the shepherds. Walk in humility. What is humility? Humility is to recognize my utter dependence on God and his grace. And I want to share a brief story of my painting humiliation. So when I was a uh, high school, sorry, college student, I went to UC Santa Barbara uh, for four years and uh, came home for, I lived in the Bay Area, and I came home for break, and my mom's boss needed his rental house painted, the inside, four bedrooms. And uh, he offered me $2,000 to paint it. And I had no experience painting, but I'm like, sure, sounds like, a, sounds like a good deal, I'll do it. And I soon realized that I wasn't a painter. I, um, I rented a paint sprayer so I could do it more quickly. And that was back before the YouTube days where you could learn how to do anything by watching a YouTube video. And I did not know how to use a paint, a paint sprayer. And I started to, and it became a mess. And I was down to the weekend before it needed to be done because the carpet layers were coming. And I was at my wit's end, and I said, Mom, what do I do? I'm in a mess here. And so my mom knew this other guy at, at work who had experience as a paint sprayer. He had painted multiple houses before. And um, she called him up and said, my son's really in a bind here, and, um, and he agreed to do it even though he had to cancel a fishing trip. So my lesson that I learned was this. When you can't fix it, ask for help. In Matthew 5.3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I recognize my poverty in painting abilities, but there are some things that are so much more important than painting a house, and that is our own spiritual condition. We are broken spiritually, and there is nothing we can do to fix it. We need God to fix it. And that is the good news, that Jesus is the one who can fix it and will fix it. The requirement is that we humble ourselves before him. And that is good news. In uh, Luke 5.32, we read, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you think you are righteous and you don't need Jesus, then there is nothing that Jesus do, can do for you. But isn't that good news that when we recognize our sinfulness and our brokenness and our need for a Savior, that Jesus will save us. So why walk in humility? James 4.10 says this, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. The way up is down. If we exalt ourselves, the Bible says that God will humble, humble us. But if we humble ourselves before the Lord, then the Bible says that he will exalt us. How do we walk in humility? Here's this wonderful verse from 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. We walk in humility by coming before God and trusting in what he did for us. By trusting in what Jesus did for us on the cross and that he forgives sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us. In Mark 10.45, Jesus said, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Isn't that good news? That Jesus came to serve us. It's, some, it's funny, sometimes we think that, that we just need to serve God. It's almost like God is up in heaven going, Oh, I just need this stuff to be done. Steve, I really need you. Like, no, that is not, that is not God. God doesn't need any of us. We need him. He is the one who serves us. We are the needy ones, and that's the way it must be because he gets all the glory. Okay, number two, how can we have our deepest desires satisfied in the everyday? Walk in awe. And there's three things I want to highlight here. One, acknowledging his glory. Two, believing the good news. And three, listening carefully to God's instructions. So in Luke 2, 9, we see an, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, to these shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. Don't you love it that whenever anyone in scripture uh, sees an angel, has this amazing experience of God breaking into the world, and their response is being filled with fear and awe. And that's exactly how we should uh, respond to when God breaks into our world with fear and awe. The God of the universe is real and he breaks into my life. And that's exactly what we read in John 1.14. And the word became flesh. Jesus broke into our world and dwelt among us and, he, and we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. We have seen how amazing and glorious he is. Glory as, as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. Are you in awe of Jesus these days? Of his grace and truth? Are you in awe that God broke into your world 2,000 years ago as a baby? And then in verses 10 to 11, walk in awe, believing the good news. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. By the way, that phrase, good news, is evangel. It's the gospel. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And at the city of David, they knew that the Messiah was coming and he was going to come uh, in Bethlehem. That was what the prophecy said. It's so cool to recognize here that is this day. This is an historical event. Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy. Luke 1.4, we might remember when Luke began his gospel, he writes that he uh, interviewed people, that he did research because he wanted, in verse uh, 4, chapter 1, verse 4, he says, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Isn't it cool to think about that Luke very likely interviewed these shepherds? He's like, so tell me about that day when the angels appeared to you and 
when you saw the baby Jesus. Luke did his research. This is an historical event. It really happened. It's not some just, it's not some story that people made up. Sir William Ramsey, an archaeologist and historian, said, I regard Luke as the greatest historian who has ever lived, save only Thucyd... Well, you can read that. So he was an archaeologist and historian, and he, uh, he was not convinced that the scriptures were God's word, that they were historically reliable. But then he went to the Holy Land and he followed in the footsteps of Paul. And guess what happened? As he, as he studied in the footsteps of Paul and, and researched and looked at the, the book of Acts, which also Luke wrote, he became convinced that Luke was an accurate historian, one of the best. Uh, William Lane Craig writes, even the most critical historian can confidently assert that a Jew named Jesus worked as a teacher and a wonder worker in Palestine during the reign of Tiberius, was executed by crucifixion and under the prefect Pontius Pilate and continued to have followers after his death. Jesus really did exist. It is a historical fact. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It's an historical event. It really happened. And there's prophetic evidence. Peter Stoner, professor at Westmont, Santa Barbara, calculated the probability of Jesus accidentally fulfilling eight prophecies. Here are the eight. Born in Bethlehem, the announcement of his arrival, his triumphal entry in, on a donkey in Jerusalem. And I don't have a, time to, to read all these passages in um, uh, the, the prophecies from the Old Testament. I was told they only have four hours. So... Uh, Number four, his betrayal by a friend. Number five, the price of his betrayal as 30 pieces of silver. Number six, the throwing of the money in the house of the Lord. Number seven, the silence of the Jews, of the silence of Jesus before his accusers. And number eight, his crucifixion by having his hands and feet pierced. By the way, the piercing of hands and feet, there was no way when Isaiah wrote that, that he knew anything about crucifixion because the Romans hadn't existed yet. And the Romans are the ones that um, that invented crucifixion as a way of capital punishment. So Isaiah 53 is one of the strongest prophecies, of Je multiple prophecies of Jesus. And so cool to see Je God. God is the only one who knows the, the past and the future. God is the only, the only one who knows the future and can write about it years, hundreds of years before it even happened. So the chances of Jesus accidentally fulfilling eight of these prophecies, these eight prophecies, is one in ten to the seventeenth power. Any mathematicians out here? Is that a large number? That's a large number. But there are actually 48 key prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And the probability of Jesus accidentally fulfilling 48 are one in ten to the 157th power. That's a really large number, people. But Jesus did not fulfill just 48 prophecies. He fulfilled over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. He fulfilled every prophecy in the Old Testament of the first coming of the Messiah. We should be convinced that Jesus, his birth, 
his life, his death, his resurrection are historical events. So a little plug for the Cold Springs uh, young adult group. We meet at uh, my house and we're studying apologetics. And apologetics is a branch of theology that answers the question, is the Christian worldview intellectually satisfying? And the answer is a resounding yes. And these are some of the questions we've been talking about. What's the evidence that God exists? And by the way, there is a wealth of evidence that God exists. Brief example. In the past like 30, 40 years, uh, cosmologists have uh, shown beyond doubt that there, uh, there is a beginning to the universe. Space, time, and matter has a beginning. So who had begun it? What's the cause? The cause must be spaceless, timeless, and immaterial. Sounds a lot like God, right? What's the evidence that the Bible is historically reliable? There is a wealth of evidence that the Bible is historically reliable. Are the birth, death, and the resurrection of Jesus historical events? Yes, they are. And there is a wealth of evidence outside of Scripture that this, these are historical events. Does the Bible contradict science? No, the Bible does not contradict science. Science comes from the Latin word knowledge. Knowledge, what we know by looking, the, observing the world around us points to God, the existence of God. The Christian worldview is intellectually satisfying. Jesus does satisfy our deepest desires. It's not a myth. It's not a story. It's not something people made up. It is real. And that's what we celebrate this Christmas, right? Is that Jesus really did break into our world. God became a man. It's an historical event. And Jesus truly does offer us forever life and forgiven life and fulfilling life. And we have experienced it. We can experience it. Next, walk in awe, listening carefully to God's instructions. So look at verses uh, 12 to 14. We see, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. I, I think that's so funny. That the angel says to them, these shepherds, says, you will find. He doesn't say, uh, pack up your bags and bring your sheep with you and go and check this out. He just says, you're going to find this. And we find, we find that actually these shepherds, that's exactly what happened. They believed the message. Do you believe the message? Do you believe God's word? Are you convinced that, that God's word is true? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Wow, that is so much. This is so rich. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. A friend recently told me, uh, this passage gave me this summary. Teaching shows me the right path. Rebuking shows me when I get off the right path. Correcting shows me how to get back on the right path. And training shows me how to stay on the right path. Scripture is so important if you want to be on the right path. 
Psalm 119.47 says, How I delight in your commands. How I love them. Do you delight in God's commands? Do you delight in his word? Do you love his word? Do you really believe that life, abundant life, a filling life is found in Jesus? Is found in walking with him and knowing his word and obeying him? Now's a good time to put a little plug in for uh, A Weary World Rejoices. So we at Cold Springs, we're, going, uh, we're doing this little reading together. Five days of preparing your heart for Christmas. So if you'd like to join us in this, um, it's on the Bible app. And uh, if you go on our website and just click on the events tab, this picture will be one of the events. And you click on the picture and it'll give you more instructions and kind of so you can uh, download the app if you need to, etc. But um, this is just a great way to connect with God's word in preparation for, um, for Christmas Day. Okay, number three, how can we have our deepest desires satisfied in the everyday? Walk in responsiveness. So I want to I close this this morning by, by quickly just reading the rest of this passage in, in Luke and looking at these nine things that we see in response to this amazing event of the birth of Jesus. So first we see believing. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing. They believe it. They believe what the angel said. Are you believing in Jesus these days? Are you believing in the truth of what God has done for you? That Jesus lived and died on a cross and rose again? Next, we, we see the response of doing. In, in Luke 2.16a, it says, and they went with haste. They responded, and they didn't just wait around. They responded with action and quickly. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We'll just do it. We'll just do it with that. With haste, action. We want to walk with Jesus and follow him. Next, we see walking in responsiveness by experiencing. And in 216b, it says, And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Isn't that cool? Exactly what the angel had said. And is that your experience? You read God's word, and God says, Do it this way, and you do it his way, and then you go, Oh, I'm so glad I did it his way. And that's exactly what we see in John 8. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We do it God's way, and we experience freedom. Walk in responsiveness by telling. It says that when they saw it, they made known the saying concerning this child. They told other people. And isn't that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to respond by telling other people what we experienced. And walk in responsiveness by wondering. In 18, it says, And all who heard it wondered at what the, what the shepherds had told them. Are you, are you responding to this good news by wondering? By just in awe of what God has done? And then in 219a, we see walk in responsiveness by treasuring. Mary treasured up all these things. Mary treasured. She stored up these things in her heart. And then in 219b, it says that she pondered them in her heart. Walk in responsiveness by pondering 
I, I love that word meditation. In Psalm 1-2, it says, Blessed is the one who delights in law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And then by glorifying and praising. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And that's in Luke 2-20a. Glorifying and praising. It's not what we're called to. We glorify and praise God. How? According to Matthew 5.16, by letting our light shine before others. We respond by letting our light shine before the world around us and others glorify our God who is in heaven. And then walk in responsiveness by remembering. Luke 2.20b, it says, as at it bid told them. Isn't this amazing? So the shepherds, angel shows up, says, uh, check this out. The Messiah is being born in Bethlehem. So they go there. And guess what they find? It's exactly what the angel had said. Is that your experience? That when God says something, it turns out to be true? Do you remember? Do you look back on your life and see last year, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, over and over again that God is faithful? He does what he says he's going to do. Psalm 77, 11 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. How are you responding to Jesus this Christmas season? I want to close this this morning with two closing quotes. C.S. Lewis says, The birth of Christ is the central event in the history of the earth. The very thing the whole story has been about. We come to celebrate Christmas and everything throughout history, the Old Testament points forward, points forward to Jesus. And then the New Testament points backwards to Jesus. All of history points forward and backward to the event. The very thing the whole story has been about and C.S. Lewis says again, look for yourself and you will find loneliness and despair, but look for Christ and you will find him and everything else. Let us close in prayer. Jesus, you are where life is at. Oh, we want to experience your joy this Christmas. And we are convinced that joy, that joy is found in you and in you alone forgiven life, fulfilling life, forever life. You are the one. You are the one that satisfies all of our deepest longings. Thank you that this Christmas season we can celebrate that you are alive, that you are real, and that you are one that gives us life. And we pray in Jesus' name.